Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. No one has ever made that statement about me. I've never done anything in my life to garner that kind of either condemnation or praise, that level of, of, you know, adulation or acknowledgement. I mean, I tried to think about all the things in my whole life that would, like, fall into the category of getting people's, like, attention and, and... and response at this level, I've got nothing. The best thing I could came up, I came up with is I scored 27 points in a basketball game one time in eighth grade. And I was really, really important for like a whole week. That's, that's it. That's what I got. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I thought really hard about it. And no one has ever made the statement about me that I've turned the world upside down. And, you know, the really interesting thing is the more that I thought about it, the more I realize that, that there's very few presidents that people think back on and say, man, that guy turned the world upside down. There's very few artists or musicians that people think about and they think, wow, that guy, that gal, they just changed, they changed everything. There's very few of those people. There's very few Nobel laureates, uh, people that are inventing things all the time and, and, and activists fighting for peace all over the world and, and doing really important things and very few people are actually saying these, these are those that have turned the world upside down. But here today in this story, what we find is a group of men who, who have nothing to their name. I mean, they've got the clothes on their back and some wounds to prove that they've been serving the Lord, and that's just about it. And they go into this city, and and, and what's being attributed to them is that they've turned the world upside down, just two missions trips in. And I think about that, and it, it amazes me, and I think, what does it require in terms of character and purpose to make me into that kind of person? What does it require? And that's what we've been looking at, and that's where we left off last week. There's a two-part series where we're addressing this question, how do we become the people that turn the world upside down? How do we become those people? How do we impact the world with the gospel in such a way that we might hear such condemnation or praise attributed to us, these that have turned the world upside down? And the first thing that we talked about last time we were together was Acts chapter 17, verse 1. And all we saw there was that Paul Paul and the team came to Thessalonica despite the sufferings that they've just faced. That in and of itself is an amazing thing. And it points to this first thing that we need, courage. The very first thing that we need to consider is are we or are we not courageous people? And it's hard to be a courageous person. I mean, you understand that you live in a world where, where courage is like people think they're courageous when they're tweeting from the darkness of their bedroom something controversial. They think that that's courageous. We live in a world where people's skin is so thin. We're afraid of almost everything. And so our perspective on what courage is is, is, is just so askew. 
What we see here in these men is that they've just been beaten and put in prison. And they leave Philippi really by the skin of their teeth. And then, then rather than going and re- resting up, what they do is they start, they start hiking. They hike about 90, 95 miles to get to Thessalonica in a matter of few days. They're in the next major city in Macedonia preaching their guts out. That's a kind of courage that we just don't know. We don't know that kind of courage. So here we have a definition of courage. We're going to define it this way. Okay, so some of the notes are going to be new because I can't stand doing review. I don't like reviewing. And so this is going to sound a little bit different than last week. So you might fill in some gaps in your notes. Here's the definition for courage that I came up with based on this story. Courage is a willingness to stand, to take a stand, despite objection, persecution, and trial of circumstance. That's what courage is. Courage is willingness to take a stand despite objection, persecution, and trial of circumstance. After everything that Paul had been through at this point, it would seem reasonable to be fearful or indifferent. I mean, I think indifference would be the thing that I would struggle with maybe. Like, it's just not going the way I thought it would. I need, to, I need to take a step back and just reassess what I'm doing. Or maybe doubt. But his trials, in his case, seem to have had the exact opposite effect. And each one of these trials, and each one of these objections, and each one of these persecutions somehow results in greater faith. Not, not less faith, greater faith. And so what we discover, discover is that When faith and love for Jesus beckon you to stand when life is hard, courage is developed. When your life is difficult and you choose to stand because you love Christ so much, you choose to stand up in the midst of your trial and move forward, that's when courage is born. That's when courage is born. Now, you know, Paul learned this back in Lystra on the first missionary journey, right? Like, you understand that he he discovered this a while back. I don't know if you remember, but, but Paul was stoned in Lystra. And he was dragged out of the city into the street, supposed to be dead. Everyone thought for sure, this dude is dead. They took his pulse and there wasn't one. You understand? Many would suggest that he was actually dead and that Christ resurrected him. But the point is, is this. The dude shouldn't... All of us would have quit. All of us would have quit. And instead, God heals him, he stands up, and what does he do? What's he do? You tell me, what does he do? He turns around and he walks right back into the city where the men were that just beat him. That is the moment he decided what courage looked like for him. That way of thinking allowed him to say the following. I think this is probably one of the most important declarations that Paul ever makes about his life and ministry. I can't really find anything. I mean, he says things similar to this. But to me, this encapsulates who he was as a minister. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always... 
so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, listen to me, I don't, I don't think this is an outlandish statement that I'm about to make. If we could get our mind around this, the entire world would know the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, what what is he actually saying here? Paul is saying that I've come to the place in my life where no one can shame me. No one can say anything. No one can despise me to the point where I feel shame over what I believe. And in fact, it just does this thing where it produces a greater boldness in me. And so it's such a boldness that, that I have the ability to say that if I die for the name of Jesus Christ, that that's only gain to me. Nothing will have been lost. Nothing. If I die for the name of Jesus, that's just gain. How many of us can actually, can actually, actually say that? I mean, you've got stuff you want to do with your life. I mean, you've got a degree to get. You've got to get that good job. You're still hoping to get married, make some babies, right? Like, you've got aspirations. But see, the problem is, in our world, the aspirations have gotten in the way. And we are tethered to the world. We are tethered to the world. And Paul was not. He was not tethered to the world. And so he wasn't afraid to die. Are you that courageous? That's the first thing we need is courage. Uh, Because I don't have time, I would highly recommend you do a study uh, of the first mention of courage. Um, It's really, really good. It's Numbers chapter 13. And it's when the spies are going into the land... Uh, to figure out a, a strategy for taking Canaan from the giants, okay? And they come back and they're freaking out. That's the first mention of courage. I highly recommend you study it out, and uh, maybe later this week I'll put my notes up on the, on the Facebook page so you can see them. But I think that that's a very powerful story. It teaches us a lot, a lot about courage. But the next thing we need to see by way of review is that you need a course of action. If you're going to turn the world upside down, Having courage is awesome. You need that. You're going to need it. You're going to need to rely on that. But the other thing you need is a course of action. In other words, you're going to need a strategy. Now, we saw that Paul and Silas, they went to Thessalonica purely out of strategy. They passed other cities to get there. They could have gone to those cities. They could have gone to preach there. They could have invested time there, and that would have been completely valid, except for the fact that they had a strategy in mind. They had a plan, and we've seen this plan over and over again. They like to go preach in the synagogues. They like urban settings. They like to divide a crowd. That's what they're into, and so that's where they choose to go because they're really trying to lay a foundation for future works. And just in terms of strategy, our church kind of thinks the same way. Um, We've got a strategy and a plan to plant uh, plant churches in, in urban cities all over, places where there's college campuses. We're really into that. And places that are fairly urban and also ethnically diverse. As you look around, 
You can kind of see how that's worked out for us. And so our heart is to go to places like that. And we believe that churches will be planted from churches, will be planted from churches, and will move from urban settings out into more suburban and maybe eventually even rural settings. Right? That's why we have a church in Lee Summit. We've planted a church in Lee Summit is because as we begin to expand, our arms can reach out into suburban settings. That's kind of what we see in the methodology here with Paul. Does that make sense to everybody? We see a similar approach. But he has a course of action, and that's really what's important. He knew he couldn't meet every single need that he came across. But he had a plan. And he was prepared to live out that plan. It, made, it means making hard decisions as you go, but there was a plan. Now here's the question for us. Do you have a plan? Now, by plan, I don't mean an ambiguous plan. I mean a very specific plan to evangelize the lost. To go and find lost people and preach the gospel to them, that they might be saved and delivered from outer darkness. You understand? Delivered from doom. See, we are on a mission to see souls delivered from hell. That the kingdom of God might gain worshipers. That's what our mission is. And the thing is, every mission needs a strategy. Every mission needs a strategy. Do you have one? Here's some questions for you, and I think they're very practical and very important for everyone in the college and young adult ministry to consider. If you're integrated into this church and into this body, here's some things you need to think about. Do you have a list of places you are looking to meet the lost? I know a lot of times in ministry, we'll be, I'll be talking to people and they'll say to themselves, well, you know, I've, I've shared the gospel with everybody at my job. Now what? I don't know. Now what? I mean, you, that's a question that you're supposed to answer. And I think for a lot of you, a really great strategy is to go and, per, and, and fill up and saturate every coffee shop in this city with Christians with open Bibles. Meet people. Go, go where people are. Go where you can engage the lost. Be active, not passive in your approach. See, that's one of the major problems with Laodicean or normative Christianity. Cultural faith, if you will. That's one of the biggest problems is that cultural faith is always passive. Ain't nothing getting done as long as your primary objective is to get to church on Sunday. What we're talking about is an activated plan. Do you have a list of places that you're looking to meet the lost? Where do you go to find find lost people? Do you have a list of people that you're actively praying for and witnessing to? We refer to that around here sometimes as an Andrew list. Do you and your Bible study have a strategy or area of focus? Every Bible study should. And your Bible study leaders should be constantly talking about that. And some of you, it's to reach people at UMKC. And others of you, it's the Art Institute. Or others of you, it's neighborhood and workplace. Or maybe it's a mixture of all of those things. But you're talking constantly in your Bible study groups about strategies, about how to bring people into Bible study with you. Or how to share the gospel with you. Like to sit down, maybe, maybe it is a one-on-one creation of Christ situation. Or maybe it's just someone that you're talking to at work or in a classroom. You're having these conversations and then, listen to me, you're praying about it. 
Because prayer does things. God hears and he responds to the requests of his children and his heart longs on souls. His, he's not willing that any would perish. And so when you pray, uh, you pray the prayers, the soul prayers to God, he's hearing them. And I, I guarantee he's not passive. He's not passive. I guarantee he's active. And in fact, he's more active than you. You can't outwork God. Paul couldn't outwork God. So work that plan. Work that, work that course, that method, that approach until God re- redirects you. Next, we need to have a clear message. Clear message. Verse 2 says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Okay, I'm not going to break this down again, but there's three things that he did, okay? He reasoned with them out of the scriptures, and we talked about that as being, uh, he's knowledgeable of the word of God, and so he has the ability to present it in a linear way. A plus B equals C. Look, you can see it right here in the word of God. Here, Here is the authority that you need to prove and give you the evidence necessary to believe in Jesus. Let me present that to you. And the question was, do we know God's word well enough to do that? And if you don't, I would highly recommend you starting with discipleship and get trained and mentored in God's word with another believer. And then after you've done that, sign up for what we call D2 that helps perfect in you the character of Christ, that teaches you how to study the Bible for yourself, that gives you a philosophy of discipleship, And then activates you to lead in ministry. And then third, we recommend LFBI. Where the the studying gets gets even deeper. And and, and LFBI is better than most seminaries. And the reason is because there's there's no professors there. These are pastors and practitioners first. And so they're telling you how these things come into play immediately. It's not theoretical. It's not a concept that they're presenting to you. They're showing you... How you can, from a very matter-of-fact way, take God's word and reason out of the scriptures. Are you trained? Are you prepared? Now, he also was opening, means he was revealing, making plain God's word, and he was alleging, he was making allegations about Jesus. Are you making allegations about Jesus? Yeah? You know, people are always alleging. People are making allegations about you, supposing they know who you are, right? Are you presenting the testimony of Jesus Christ? Is the main thing that you talk about in life Jesus? Are you making allegations to people about who he was, his death, burial, resurrection, and what that means for you? Are you doing that? You know, this was Paul's thing, was making allegations about Jesus. This was his thing. This is what he did. Acts chapter 18, verse 28 says, For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is what Paul's always doing. He's always reasoning from the book. He's always presenting it, making it plain, making it easy for people to understand. This is what he does. Paul was trained. 
Paul was trained. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we have to be biblically prepared. Right? Some amens along the way would be great. I, I mean, I, I felt it in the air. I think, it's the, I think it has something to do with, like, al- allergens. Um, I felt it in the air on the way here. I knew that you guys were going to be a little bit out of it. Okay, you need to shake that off. All right, you got to hear what I'm saying. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you really prepared to give a reason for the joy within you? Are you ready to do that? And if not, it's time to get prepared. Let's do that. I mean, and I'm, and I'm, talking, I'm talking to the newbies in here. This, maybe this is your first week coming to, to, to Kaya. I'm talking to you. Come get trained. Come be with us. Come, come do exactly what I'm talking about. This is what we're striving to do. Join yourself to us. And let's go win the world. Next, we have to be willing to make conflict wherever we go. That's just, that's just going to happen. I, I hate to break it to you. I know that we're all people pleasers. I know that, that it's really important for people to identify with you and to, to love you and adore you. And everything that you, you do is cute and awesome. And every picture that is ever taken of you is like is, is, you look perfect in it. And everything about you want people to love and think you're the best thing. Okay? Well, being a Christian means that people are going to hate you. And I had a really hard time learning this. Because as loud and and intense a person I am, I'm actually really good at making friends. I've always been good at it. I'm kind of a chameleon in the crowd. I get to know people. I like to, uh, you know, I like to, to make people feel important. And I, and I like for people to like me. And I just realized the further along in ministry I got, that just, it's just absolutely impossible. Like, I'm sure that there are people who liked Paul. They thought he was cool. You know? But I, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that most places he went... People were very, very divided about him. Verse 4 says, and some of them believed. Praise God. That's what we want. And they consorted with Paul and Silas. And of, a devout, and, and, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. There's a, there's a group of people who join themselves to Paul. And they're like, we're with Paul. That dude's cool. I like that guy. I want to hang out with him. Right? But then there's another group, verse 5, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Look, there ain't nothing like the sword of truth to divide a crowd. Get out the gospel. going to divide the crowd. You know, this is why politicians are purposely ambiguous about this time of year. Okay? 2020, elections are coming up. We're going to hear all, all we're going to hear all, the, both sides, both camps speaking. And they are going to be very ambiguous in what they say. It's going to be very shallow statements very broad, shallow statements about their platform. Why? Why? Because their primary intention is to unify their base. 
So this is the part, this is the part where they don't say anything crazy. But nowadays, you know, it seems like everything they say is crazy. But <laughs> historically, historically, this is where people are trying to unify their base and they want to get the largest and broadest number of people to come and be a part. They're trying to unify things a little bit. And that's, that's really ultimately to, to, to deceive people. And, and the truth is, um, while ambiguity uh, might create a little bit of confusion and frustration, it doesn't do anything t- to activate people. See, truth, truth, truth divides. Truth divides. And there is nothing more divisive than the truth of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Literally, nothing. Think about all the things that divide people. There is nothing more divisive in this world over the last 2,000 years than the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And if we're going to turn the world upside down, we have to be okay with the conflict that comes and surrounds our life. You've got to be okay with being hated by association. You've got to be okay with that. Paul became the enemy because Christ's name was hated. Acts twenty two twenty two, And they gave him audience unto this word. And they lifted up their voices and said uh, to, about Paul, listen, away with such a fellow from the earth. I mean, they couldn't say, I love the way that's written, by the way. They couldn't say, kill the guy. Away with such a, fr- a fellow from the earth. I mean, that's real grand. That's a grand way of saying, kill the guy. Listen, for it is not fit that he should live. I mean, do y'all have enemies like that? I plan on getting some. And not because of my opinion or because I seek personally to be a divisive individual. No, no, no. If I preach the gospel enough, people are going to hate me to death. Acts 24, 5 says, For we have found this man, a pestilent fellow. That's great. Are you a pestilent fellow? A mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. You know, Jesus says this thing. He prepares his disciples for this. In John 15, 18, he says, If the world hate you, You know that it hated me before it hated you? If you, were, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. You know that to be true, right? When you were of the world, people loved you. They thought you were great. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Here's the deal. We have got to get thick skin. I believe with all my heart we're living in the last of the last days. And and Satan has deceived our generation that even the Christians are sensitive and afraid 
And we cannot be that. We cannot be that. And I can't cure that for you. I know that you're, 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 you tend to be anxious and nervous about things. There's certain things that trigger you. I know it. I get it. Let's get over that together. Let's, let's go into the world and let our suffering, let our suffering and our trial and our difficulty, let's allow those things to, to slowly codify us. To, to build up a, a toughness. Let's study God's word. Let's be close to him. Let's glean his character. And as we do so, let's, let's all of us, let's all get stronger. Let's all get less afraid. That the things that used to cause us anxiety and frustration, now, look, look, now I can go and I can, I can talk to anybody about Jesus without fear of rejection, without concern of what they think. We've got to have thick skin. People are going to hate you if you preach this message. Now last, all that's, that's all been review, okay? That's all review. Number five, and I, I believe key point number six, if you're tying your, the previous message, part one to part two, I think this is key point six. Let's read here in verse six. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now, I want to point something out here in this, in this verse that you don't notice about it on first glance, because we've been talking about you a lot, about where you fit in this way of thinking. Like, how do I turn the world upside down? But I want to point something out to you, very, very important. What does it say? It says... These, these that have turned the world upside down. See, it's not one individual that turned the world upside down. It's an army of men and women who are learning to think and act just like Paul does. Key point number one, listen to, or number six, sorry. <laughs> listen, if we're going to turn the world upside down, it's going to take a team effort. Turning the world upside down for Paul and his, and his mission required he have a team. And not just a team, but a home church. And not just a home church, but a fellowship of churches where thousands of people Apostles and disciples of all sorts, men and women of different races and ethnicities, had determined in their heart to be full of courage, to have a methodology, to preach, to preach a, a clear message, to be okay with conflict. These type of people as a collective turned the world upside down. And you can't do it alone. And you shouldn't do it alone. God built it in such a way that it requires a team. The conversation about turning the world upside down is as much about 
how you relate to the body of Christ as it is about you as an individual. So the question is, do you relate to the body of Christ? I mean, there are people in this room who are very well-intentioned Christians, and they've heard everything that I've preached so far, and they've said to themselves, yeah, I like that. I mean, it sounds a little radical, and you're kind of weird, but I like kind of what you're saying. Like, I get it. You found it in the Bible, and I like the Bible, and it sounds good. And you're saying that, and yet you don't have a local church to tie yourself to. You don't have a place where you're consistently getting edified. You don't have a place where you're getting trained. You don't have a place where you're being activated for the work. And you're only really attending Kaya because, well, you've got some friends here maybe. And I don't say that to do anything other than encourage you. You need a team. I mean, that is if you want to turn the world upside down. I mean, if you want to keep doing what you're doing, God bless you. I disagree with you. But, but you know, church is fun and fellowship's fun and having friends is fun. But what I'm saying is, are you willing to give your life for the mission? And what I desire, really above, above really anything else in my life, is for my family and my church to be radical in their faith. And I want desperately for this ministry to be a collection of people who are devoted to laying their lives down for the gospel. Is that what you want? You know, this is also a huge relief to those of us who might be saying, you know, I struggle with being courageous or being bold. You know, I don't know my Bible very well. And so hearing this is actually relief because what I'm saying to you is this. So you don't know. So I don't know. So I have things to learn. So you have things to learn. So what? When we come together, we all grow together. It's a relief to me that I know that I have, I have brothers and sisters that make up my weaknesses. Where I lack, they abound. And where I abound, they lack. And I can come by them and I can teach them and show them and be with them. And we can do that together and we can win the world. I find it to be a great relief. You know, in sports, uh, there's this misnomer that the teams with the most talent win, right? I mean, I think we believe that in our world today with free agency and the way contracts work, I mean, if you're into sports or whatever, is that people, that, that sports teams are actively building what, what they refer to as super teams, super teams. It's where they get all the stars, they pay the biggest bucks, and they bring the best players to one individual team, and, and they stack the team. And the thing that we've actually learned well, some people have learned, is that that doesn't work most of the time. You bring all the egos together, and they don't know how to play together, they don't want to work together as a team, and whatever. You know, the best basketball team over the last 20 years in the NBA is a team called the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, I forgot Edibon's a big fan. Is, 
The last 20 years, the best team is, is the San Antonio Spurs. Now listen to me. They don't sell a lot of jerseys. They, they're, not, they're not famous. Not the way that the Lakers are or the, the, the Knicks are. They're not famous that way. People don't regard them. In fact, some people used to say that they're boring to watch. And the reason is because they didn't have very many stars. Over the last 20 years, they've maybe had two or three all-stars. The team was made up primarily of misfits from throughout the league that were willing to say to themselves, you know what, I die to my pride, and if I join this team, I'm a spur. I'm not me, I'm, I'm a spur. And I'll play whatever role they need me to play. And, and, and instead of taking the big shot, I'll make the pass if I need to make the pass. And not just that, but, but, but when I'm on defense, I'm not just doing it to protect my knees. I'm not just kind of in the way. No, I, everybody on the team, they sacrifice their body on every single play. There used to be this guy on the team named Manu Ginobili. Okay? This dude, balding, unattractive, doesn't look very athletic, but I'm telling you, he's, he's one of the best players to play in the last 20 years. He gave his body sacrificially on every single play. Now listen to me. This is the type of team that the church is. We don't need the smartest we don't need the most well-spoken people to join our team. We don't need any. We need people that are willing to give their lives on every play. That nothing else is important but the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the banner that I proudly fly. And whatever comes... What if 2021 is worse than 2020? What do I care? What do I care? I'm not tethered to this world. And I play on a team that's giving everything it's got right up to the finish line. We are a body. First, First Corinthians 12 gives you the model for that if you need it. Man, I didn't even I didn't even cover everything. In this ministry of about 150 young people dedicated to serving the Lord as a team. We turn to our Bible studies, we turn to our church to edify us and partner with us. And as we go out, we're not alone. We're not alone. And I'm betting on us. And, and honestly, the odds are against us. Because if, if they saw the roster, no one would really probably be impressed with, with any of us. But I'm betting on us. And the reason is, is because I know, I know what we want, and I know that the Lord goes before us. And where our Savior is, we are always winning. No matter how divided the crowd is. No matter if we're all alone. 
I've, I've decided, I don't, man, am I going to announce this right now? I'm going to announce it right now. We're going to take a break from Acts in a few weeks, and we're going to study Noah. We're going to do a short series on Noah in a few weeks, maybe after the fall retreat. I haven't decided yet. You know there's never anybody more alone on earth besides Jesus Christ than Noah. That dude was alone. I mean, we're talking in the entire population of the whole earth. It was, he was the only righteous one. Freaking crazy. I'm, I'm betting on Noah. I'm betting on us. Listen to this. Verse 6. They found them. They drew Jason out. You go down. They make the, the proclamation. These are the men that have turned the world upside down. They're here now too. Who Jason hath received. Now listen to this. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Saying that there is another king. One Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Now listen, I love that as a closing. I love that. These do contrary to the ways of the world. These people do the exact opposite of what's expected of them. And they do it because of some guy named Jesus, another king. Is that us? Is that the way people talk about us? Do you want to unsettle the world for Christ? Do you want to be used to turn the world upside down? It doesn't take a special personality type. It doesn't take an introvert or an extrovert. You just have to be courageous. You have to have a plan. You have to have a message. And you have to have a team. And I'm going to pray that you're with us. And if you know, you know today that you need to make a decision. As we close in prayer right now, I'm going to have Seth come up, play. As we close right now, you know you need to make a decision. Maybe your decision is to join with us and it's time for you to grow. Come forward, talk to somebody about that. Maybe in all of this preaching, you're thinking, man, this dude, what is this dude fired up about? I, what is this? I... I, I what, what, what has got them so excited? Come forward. Come find out. Come find out. Do not leave here. If there's, if there's something happening in your heart right now, do not leave unless you've addressed it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, especially right here, Lord, for the example that we find in Paul and Silas and Timothy and Titus and the disciples that, that were living and breathing and laying their, literally laying their lives down for your name. Lord, would you make us capable of that kind of mission? Would you ready our hearts and mind for that kind of mission? 
Would you allow us to die to things in our life that allow us to live that kind of mission? Would you allow us to put away personal desires that we might gain your strategies? Lord, would you teach us how to put, put aside friends that aren't healthy for us that we might gain friends that are? Lord, would you, would you show us what it means to be a part of the organic and organized body of Christ? Would you help us to find a place where we can, we can join ourselves and pursue you as a team that we might turn the world upside down? Lord, would you show us, even right now, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.